Hello and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we carefully dissect the movie Alien one minute at a time. I'm John Engel. And I'm Mitch Bryan, and today we're looking at Minute 80, which begins with Ripley typing some more shit into Mother and ends with Ripley getting the message, Crew Expendable. All right, well, it's Friday. It's our last day with Tyler and David from Battleship Pretension. Guys, thanks for spending the week with us. Oh, it's been a blast. Absolutely. Thank so many, you. so many adventures over this week. I say we make a plan to meet up on the anniversary of this week every year. <laughs> that's, a, that's a plan. All right, we're there. <laughs> so why don't you, really quickly before we jump into the minute, why don't you guys tell us a little bit more about what you're doing at Battleship Pretension. We talked about, uh, we've mentioned the show but never actually said what it was, and tell us about any other things that you guys are doing that you want the listeners to know about. Sure. Um, Battleship Pretension is a movie discussion podcast that um, is uh, much less focused than this one <laughs> it tends to just re- reflect the kind of conversations that uh uh cinephiles uh have um when they're being antisocial at parties and uh you can find uh that 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 podcast as well as all the other podcasts in the battleship retention fleet which is a whole uh a whole roster of of film podcasts including one called musical notation uh which is done by uh, your former guest west anthony uh, in which he talks about um, movie scores and movie movie music. Uh, that's all at battleshippretension.com. Um, or, uh, I think I said our emails, David at battleshippretension.com, Tyler at battleshippretension.com. Our Twitters are at Tyler Pretension, at Davey Pretension. I have another podcast about TV called Hey, Watch This. You can also find that at Battleship Pretension. Um, Tyler has another podcast, too. Yes, but it's not part of the uh, it's not part of the fleet. It's called More Than One Lesson, which is a movie discussion uh, from a Christian point of view. So if people are not interested in that, uh, it's totally understandable. Um, but then uh, other other podcasts in the fleet are uh, uh, I Do Movies Badly, hosted by Jim Rohner, which is uh, what I've come to discover is called a called a, a movie homework podcast, where you are basically a, he is assigned movies to watch by his guests, and then he reports back on them. Uh, there's Double Feature, which is uh, Eric and Michael compare and contrast two movies that are uh, similar in some ways and very different in others. And then there is the classic horror cast, which is a monthly show in which um, the hosts talk about some wonderful horror movies, uh, some of them very old, some of them relatively new, and uh, just break them down both artistically but also just uh, culturally. So those are all available at BattleshipRetention.com, except for More Than One Lesson, which is available at MoreThanOneLesson.com. Yeah, I just want to say to the listeners, I've been listening to Battleship Retention for a really long time. And uh, I've had a lot of, you know, fun listening to the movie discussions. And I know way more about your guys' eating habits than I do any other podcasters I listen to. (laughs) So that's how loose the conversation can be sometimes. But uh, it's a lot of fun. And I actually like the loose nature of the show a great deal. And you guys get good guests in. It's a good show. So I highly recommend it, all you Alien Minute listeners. Okay. Well, we're in Minute 80 now. We're We're in Mother. Uh, Ripley is typing things in. Um, I wanted to, oh, go ahead. Oh, the, uh, you just, um, you, you guys, I think uh, Mitch said that, uh, it ends with the, um, crew expendable. And, uh, when I watched the minute for the first time, I was like, oh, what well, I hope it gets to crew expendable before yeah. the end of the minute. Like that would be quite a cliffhanger yeah. to end our week, uh, where we don't know whether or not the crew is expendable. <laughs> well, it's... I might throw in our, uh, repeating theme that, 
Ridley Scott seems to be working in 30 and 60 second increments. And <laughs> it certainly feels that way. Things fall into place pretty nicely. Yeah, guys, the, f- the first 20 minutes or so of this movie seems to be done one minute at a time. It was really when once we started diving in and doing the show, we were like, wait, everything's ending the right on the minute mark and moving on to the next thing. And it keeps going to the movie from time to time. Yeah, it's great that you get this crew expendable. That's, that's a wonderful cliffhanger for next week, for sure. I think what I wanted to say, first off, um, we've been praising Sigourney Weaver's performance all week, but I wanted to get into her specific performance here. Here she is alone with a computer. So this is the you know dynamic of the scene for her. And there's an, an interesting progression in this scene, I think. When she comes in, we're already established. She's going to get an answer. She just told Ash, I'm going to go to mother and get an answer. So when she comes in, her performance is determined. I'm going to get to the bottom of something, right? So she's typing things into the computer. When she initially doesn't get an answer, it then moves to that all too familiar now in our age, frustration with the computer, not giving us what we want. Um, You see that emotion boil up. And then as we get to some information, well, basically at the point where it says science officer eyes only, she gets very emotional. The, something overcomes her there. And I think it's a very interesting choice from Scorny Weaver from Ridley Scott as well, probably that this has brought her to a moment where all these uh, fears that she had, all her paranoia is probably about to become reality. I think when she sees that science officer eyes only, well, she's been suspicious of Ash all this time. But now she's realizing that the answers have been held back, and but he is the one that's seen the information. So I think it's a very interesting progression of, of a very wonderful performance where she interjects this emotion into the science fiction film. She does it from time to time. She does it more in later minutes as well. But I just wanted to acknowledge that her performance is brilliant right here. Very understated, but brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's just somebody typing something into a screen and into a computer and then words being presented on the screen and it's and it's it's important that we read those words you know it'd be easy to just sort of tune them out but it's important that we read them and understand uh you know what they mean and then cutting back to her and seeing her response and it's just a and it's a response of of you know being her suspicions being confirmed in a way that she didn't even that she couldn't even contemplate the extent of uh, but then also a real sense of hopelessness continuing uh, because it, it is shortly after this, and admittedly uh, the whole thing about uh, Ash being a robot, but it's, it's, it starts with this sequence that uh, afterwards it's like, all right, we're going to blow this whole place up. Like th- that is, you know, the hopelessness of Lambert is something that she fought against. And after this sequence and finding out who Ash, you know, what Ash really is, that is when it's like, okay, no, you're right. I'm not going to fight against that hopelessness. Uh, we'll just take our chances on the, on the shuttle. And, uh, and you see it, you see the seeds of it being sown here. Uh, and you see the, the increasing desperation. There's something particularly, <clears throat> for lack of a better term, pathetic about you're crying, you're having an emotional response, but you have to keep typing. (laughs) 
she's essentially sort of working through like a company bureaucracy, like having to type in the specific override order, having to rethink what she is saying in a way that the computer might better understand, uh, all while she's having emotional reactions to the things she is reading. And so it's a very, it's very focused. She can't let herself completely break down because she still has things she needs to do. And probably to make matters worse from a performance point of view, she's not acting to anything because it's pretty clear that the screen is being photographed separately than her. There's never a shot where she and the screen are both in the same shot. In fact, you get that trick from earlier on in the film where the letters reflect back across her face, which we have discussed is absolutely impossible, but nevertheless gives you this idea that those things are linked. But my suspicion is she's sitting there and she's got to imagine everything. Maybe somebody's feeding her the lines audibly, possibly, but uh, she's got to do a lot of work. There's there's no help. And I think there is, and this actually kind of covers the end of the last minute to the beginning of this one, is there is, it might only be like three seconds, but there are about three seconds when the computer's not turning on. And she's kind of staring at it, waiting for it to turn on. And then it finally, and I think she types a little bit more and then it finally does. And... I think that's it's again it's only a few seconds. I don't think it's meant to to really uh worry us or anything like that, but there's a brief moment when it's like, you know, what did she just say? She said I had a, I have access to mother and I'm going to get my own answers. And then for the briefest of moments the computer is not turning on. She is not going to get her answers and then she types in a little bit more and then it turns on and everything's fine, except of course we come to realize it's not fine. Um but just even moments like that, just brief it's I feel like it barely qualifies as suspense, but it's just the briefest of moments when our character is once again not getting what she wants when she wants it. And it's the third time that this has gone bad in Mother. This is the third scene where we've had somebody go in and type for information and pretty much wind up with jack shit at the end. Because Dallas didn't get anything the first time he went in when everybody was awakened. Dallas didn't get anything the second time he went in to try to get advice on how to fight the alien, and now she's not getting any help either. Yeah, there was something else about her performance that I wanted to mention as well, something that had never really stood out to me until I watched this minute. But when she, after she gets the science officer eyes only line, and then she's having to type through crying, you know, well, I'm going to find out what exactly it is that he's seen. I'm going to override this. She's lipping. She's she's saying something under her breath. Do you guys notice this? Hmm. And yeah. yeah, I never noticed it before either. But she is, and it's and and it, you can't tell at all what she's saying. But it really feels like a sort of like oh please oh please oh please don't let it be this. You know that maybe she suspects this, not necessarily specifically crew expendable, but she knows it's got to be bad news. And I think she's still holding out, um, even though she's been so suspicious of Ash all along and paranoid about the company and so on and so forth. She's really hoping not to get this really, really bad news that we're going to end this minute with. It's, it's just another moment that I noticed that uh, I've never noticed it before. Do you guys have any thoughts about the fact that I guess Dan O'Bannon really disliked this whole subplot with the revelation that the company was, you know, against them and that they'd sent this robot to oversee all of this he felt like it was this extraneous plot line of story. What, any thoughts on that? Since you're not going to get to talk about the head getting knocked off and all that good stuff. I uh, I uh, respectfully disagree with Mr. <laughs> uh, O'Bannon. I think the um, 
I'm sure you've addressed that this is, you know, I, if if you go to the video store, the you know, the uh, grocery store video counter or whatever that doesn't exist anymore, uh, you're probably going to find Alien under science fiction, but it's a horror movie. Um, and I think the history of horror movies um, includes p- people, uh, our protagonists, turning on one another um, uh, under the pressure cooker of whatever external supernatural threat uh, there is so this th- that that sort of um, added le- level of uh, paranoia and betrayal and all that um, feels very much in keeping with with the with the genre and it does uh, you know in um, words I'm sure that Ridley Scott would use it thickens things thickens things up a bit <laughs> <laughs> right yeah well yeah, yeah it's it's uh, but what's interesting like from a horror standpoint it definitely ups the stakes because it shows that. Not only does she have to fight against the alien, she has to fight against the company and against Ash. Uh, but what's interesting is the way that it raises the stakes as a horror movie is a specifically science fiction idea. And so I have no problem with viewing it as a science fiction movie. It's a science fiction horror, no question. But um, I can see where O'Bannon's coming from in that like, at a key moment in the film, uh, we pivot from the alien to this whole other thing. But I think it's executed so well, not to mention there's that wonderful line at the end where, you know, Ash's head says, you know, I can't speak about your chances, but you have my sympathy and then smiles. And that is, you know, that is a really nice transition from, okay, we're dealing with a robot and all that sort of thing. And then it's a remind. it goes back into the reminder of like, yeah, I'm not your worst concern right now. And in fact, you're probably all going to die. Um, so I feel like it's, it doesn't last long enough to be a genuine distraction and it plays into the larger story so well that I, I don't have a problem with it all. And I know that Ron, uh, Ronald, uh, shows it, um, the other writer of the story, I know that he actually really liked the, uh, the, uh, incorporation of of the of ash as a robot if i remember right dino bannon saw it as a as a tropey thing uh similar he called it the russian spy trope where i believe it was fantastic voyage that he specifically uh, cites as having this unnecessary character on the ship just to gum up the works i guess was the way he saw it and i just don't think he saw the bigger picture of what Ash's presence does. I mean, not to mention he he literally aids the horror element. Like he's literally helping it along. He's making um, it harder. You got to wonder how the Nostromo crew would have fared. Like if Daniel Bannon had his way and they stripped away the Ash, um, that antagonistic element of the film, it would have been harder to get the Nostromo crew into a corner. It's nice to have these like helpful moments. I mean, I, would would the thing have ever gotten on the ship without Ash? Like who was going to do that? I guess just some character. It's much more interesting to have it tied into a bigger picture, I think. Without it, it, it doesn't bloat the movie by any means by doing so. So I think it's, man, yeah, I'm with you. I, I respectfully disagree as well. It's, it's also, it's hard for us to separate and think, and I think imagine um, this subplot not existing because this subplot is kind of the basis for the rest of the franchise uh, in a lot of ways. You know, um, the Waylon yutani is the, in in some ways the real villain at least at least of the first three movies and then uh i think they got um bought out by walmart 
Is that what happened? Tyler? In the direct in the director's cut of Alien Resurrection, yes, Joss Whedon decides that they have been purchased by Walmart. <laughs> oh, Joss, not not your brightest moment there with Alien Three. Sorry, but okay. Well, we don't have to go on on about that again. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. That has that has ruined my day. <laughs> that was my game. My my goal. Oh, mission mission accomplished. David, you were holding on to that Walmart line right to the end just to make sure <laughs> yeah. that this went out on a sour note. Yeah, I was being a real Parker to Tyler's Ripley. Yeah. <laughs> David, shut up. <laughs> we don't know that. Um, <laughs> we don't know that. Well, that was the director's cut. We don't know that. That's not canon. All right. Um, <laughs> sorry. So, sorry for the tangent. You, yeah. you guys really got a taste of Battleship Pretension. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So if um, listeners liked or hated that, then you know you can, <laughs> listen, you can listen. You can hate listen to Battleship Pretension. Well, that sort of brings us to the end of this minute. I don't know. Do you guys have anything else? I I just I, I feel like this is kind of repeating stuff we talked about in the previous minute uh, yesterday. But uh, I really just want to mention the sound design again in the uh, the mother control uh, womb. <laughs> uh, uh, whatever you want to call it vestibule uh antechamber um just that uh the hum of the ship and the and the clicking of the of the typing uh it's it's a very it's a weirdly warm feeling i think like we were talking about yesterday uh in in this in this room for such a a cold uh ship and a a cold space it it does have a a, a warm breathing alive feeling in there and a lot of that is because of the sound yeah thank god it's tungsten light not uh, not leds or cold fluorescence you know, it's it is so warm and organic in there it's pretty great yeah looking at the uh again i'm sure you guys have covered this before but looking at the oscars that the film uh was nominated for it was nominated for art direction and visual effects and one visual effects um and i d- i think it, an argument could be made for it uh should it you know having been nominated or should have been nominated for uh some kind of sound award because the sound design is very specific and very unique Every sound that the ship makes is, to me, so fascinating uh, and so interesting and really brings you into that world. You know, the sound that it makes when when you're about to go into Mother and, like, the lights are coming on. And it's just, it's a bit jarring. It's a little bit abrupt, but it just sounds very industrial. Um, and and the, the sounds inside of Mother, like the sounds of the typing and the sounds of, of, the, of Mother's response, all while there's this breathing going on. It's just, it's very... It is very calming in in certain ways. Like I feel like it'd be uh, it'd be a good place, you know, for Brett to write his novel. <laughs> the t- the title of which is right, right, <laughs> right. The, the story of a savantishly brilliant engineer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that does it. And, you know, you guys already told everybody. Unless you have like a MySpace page or something you want to tell people about. <laughs> We kind of uh, already no, covered that. We haven't uh, we haven't updated that in a while. Okay, <laughs> I do want to. Tom's say thanks, waiting for you. Uh, thanks for having us, having us, and also thanks for um, uh, we we repeatedly rescheduled this. Um, <laughs> so thank you for thank you for bearing with us on that. But this uh, this was a blast. Yeah, thanks a lot for coming on, guys. Well, listeners, as you know, you can find us at alienminute.com or follow us on Twitter at alienminutepod. Uh, we're on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcasts, and we're on Facebook at our listeners page. Just ask us to join, and we'll let you in. If you, as long as you have a picture or something, we know you're not a spammer. Um, come over to the T Public page, grab a T-shirt or a mug or something, and um, yeah, we'll see you next week for Minute Eighty One. Thanks.